0: This is Bob Cudmore, The Sanfords, Kirk Douglas, The Painted Rocks, The Baseball Oracle, and more. Signed copies of my local history books are available. Hidden history of the Mohawk Valley and stories from the Mohawk Valley. You can buy signed copies at Old Peddler's Wagon on Church Street and The Bookhound on Main Street in Amsterdam hidden history, and stories from the Mohawk Valley are also at bookstores everywhere and online at Amazon.com. Coffee with Cutmore. Light 104.7 and 1570 AM WVTL. Episode 31 of The Historians. We welcome Jack McEnany to the program. Good morning, Jack.
1: morning, Bob, to your listeners as well.
0: Good to have Jack McEnany with us, who... Is uh, I can think one of several Mr. Albany's. If you want to find out about (laughs) Albany, uh, maybe you'd go to Bill Kennedy, or uh, maybe you'd go to Paul Grandall, or maybe you'd go to Jack McEnany to find out about what's happened in Albany over the years. Uh, Jack McEnany served 20 years in the New York State Assembly, representing about half of Albany County, and through it all uh, maintained a lively interest in history, as written about uh, Albany County history and his best-known book on that topic, Albany, Capital City on the Hudson. I'd like to go uh, go back to your your birth. Uh, as with all of our upstate cities, Albany is a city of neighborhoods. You're from the Pine Hills uh, neighborhood. I oh, yeah. yeah, I associate that with the years I spent as a part-time teacher at St. Rose. The St. College of St. Rose is in the Pine Hills, right?
1: Yep, right in the middle. Uh, I went across the street to uh, Vi Vincentian Grade School, and. Uh, I lived across the street on Western when I was very little, and when, then we moved up to uh, North Pine Avenue, where I was from age six till age eighteen. My mother's family had moved there in 1908, and my dad was born in eighteen ninety nine. Uh, right opposite Hamilton Street on Partridge Street.
0: And what, and that at that time? What, I mean, even to this day, it's a nice neighborhood. Basically, I mean, what, oh, this, it, it's a wonderful neighborhood, and it was. Uh, the original
1: Pine Hills Association began at uh, Partridge Street and went west, and that was founded in 1900. And the big advantage is there were no saloons in uh, in uh, Pine Hills. That used to be a a ah. big promotion at the time, and that the houses would not be attached; there would be an alleyway in between them, and uh, they referred to them as villas. A lot of them they started with the Queen Anne. Shingle wraparound porch with the turrets, and then uh, uh, moved into different uh, uh, styles, but always with front
0: porches, and it was it was a wonderful uh, neighborhood to grow up in. I never thought of that. It didn't have the saloons, which of course are well, important in Albany history, but uh, yeah.
1: Well, that's what people were escaping because it was there was really no zoning in the nineteenth century city, and uh, the reason I mention that is the Pine Hills. Uh, Improvement Association or Development Association. I remember they bought out the city directories in uh, 1894 and 95, and they had all these uh, reasons why you'd want to go there. And one was there are no saloons in Pine Hills. Well, there was when I grew up, but it was a a classy restaurant, Petit paris, but that was the only... Only exception.
0: Well, as it became more collegiate, though, they, there are some saloons here now. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: But, they're, but they're all on the uh, east side of Partridge Street. Yeah,
0: and it's sort of a little connection to uh, Amsterdam. My uh, yeah, classmate. Oh, excuse me, but but, let me
1: correct myself before I mislead people, and there's been a revival of restaurants and, and bars across from the old 6th Precinct uh, in the shopping street on uh, Madison Avenue.
0: An Amsterdam uh, native, uh, a friend of mine that we grew up together, uh, Henry Maday, who worked for the government, I imagine you knew him. I know Henry yeah.
1: very well, lived oh. on Western Avenue, was active in the Pine Hills Neighborhood Association, and he worked for us down in the New York State Assembly.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I, I know he was very concerned with keeping that neighborhood uh, a good yes. neighborhood.
1: Yeah, I mean, how do you accommodate the students without turning it into a, you know, a seasonal dorm type of thing? and and uh, Henry's uh, very well respected in that neighborhood and also down in the
0: assembly. And you uh, earned a history degree at uh, Siena College. I mean, did you ever think of just uh, becoming a, I shouldn't say just, <laughs> becoming a history teacher instead of doing yeah, what you did?
1: That was my, uh, my goal in life, and uh, uh, we had no education credits uh, out there. I didn't opt for that. I went in the Peace Corps and when I came out I wound up teaching I actually taught one class of history and three or four of English in Hackett uh, uh, then Hackett junior high school and then got a summer job with the neighborhood youth Corps and that turned into an assistant director and that turned into director and I got away from teaching I wound up uh, working in in uh, state government originally in county government and and uh, I never did get back to it. I've lectured at every every college as a guest lecturer and I love going into classrooms. I still consider myself a teacher, but you know, life didn't work out that way.
0: Now, and when you went you went into politics and you were yeah. elected a number of times to the New York State Assembly, uh you know, and there was some certainly some drama in in some of your races. Oh yeah. I well, mean, that, go ahead. I
1: was in my late 40s that I actually because I used to be, uh, I used to spend federal money under the CETA program with Mayor Corning. I was there for almost twelve years as a city commissioner, and so I had to low profile the politics. But uh, then I uh, left uh, when Mayor Whalen came in. I worked for the state for a while, then I worked for uh, Jim Coyne as the deputy county executive during some difficult years there, and then finally I sort of broke with the mall and. That, you know what? I'm gonna go against the organization and I'm going to run for the county legislature, which was a very dramatic uh, uh, campaign.
0: Yeah, so and you w- did that as a write-in, correct?
1: I did. It was a it, well it was a traditional uh, uh, democratic primary. and uh, it turned out to be a tie. There were a number of disputed votes. it dragged out. For well over a week. In those days, they used to open up the absentees every day the mail came in, and uh, there was a lot of publicity on it, and eventually they they certified the tie, which meant that the local committeemen decided who they were going to give it to, and 16 to nothing, they gave it to the incumbent, who was my, my opponent. He'd been there 18 years, and he was the majority leader of the county legislature, Richie Myers. So then... A couple of months later <laughs> uh i declared a write-in on nine days notice and that made history that made the new york times with the picture
0: yeah because uh it was kind of being a maverick especially in with the i know. i think you said organization we have paul Grandau oh, yeah. and he yeah. calls it the machine but others call it the organization you were uh, bucking them at that time
1: oh it, absolutely a number of people who uh, uh, were and are they continue to be friends, but they sided with the incumbent i remember mayor Mayor Whalen sent a letter to every voter on private, beautiful stock stationery, urging him to vote the other way and uh, mayor and i remember <clears throat> Congressman mcnulty endorsed uh, uh, my opponent, but you know somewhat logical, they were going with the guy who had been there a long time.
0: Mm. And then how did you get into the assembly? In fact, I remember moderating a debate when you were running for the first time for the assembly.
1: Well, what happened is, is Dick Connors, we all know now, had Alzheimer's, which was very hard to uh, diagnose back in uh, back in the early 90s. And uh, when it became obvious that Dick couldn't run, my job was his chief of staff for uh, for one uh, one session and it became more and more obvious and when Dick stepped down, it was a four-way primary, and I had just come off this uh, very well-publicized and dramatic write in election, so uh, I wound up being the party's designee, mm. although in some areas I'm still not forgiven for the write in
0: <laughs> I see. Well, and then, you know, maybe to bring the politics sort of up to date, you know, at some point you challenged uh, Mayor um, Jerry Jennings in a primary, didn't you? In, in
1: 1997 I did. I, uh, I challenged him, and uh, uh, he spent 410000 I spent 100000 and I think it was about a 60-40 uh, defeat for me. And then the next year, for some very strange reason, I was opposed for the assembly.
0: <laughs> I see. You <laughs> couldn't figure that out, eh?
1: <laughs> Yeah, and a lot, a lot of people were. It was sort of a payback type of thing, but then I, and uh, there weren't a lot of endorsements for me either, and I, I managed to. Uh, beat back uh, uh, Gary Damalowicz handily, and uh, that made, put, took me from a loser to a winner again, and I didn't have any serious challenges thereafter.
0: But then, a couple years ago, you stepped down. Why was that?
1: Well, it was the even number of 20 years. It was the end of the old 104th District. Uh, I was in charge of the redistricting, but there was no way, uh, given the... Uh, the laws we have for civil rights and voting rights, there was no way you could not move the line far up the hill. And it uh, it bounced a lot of, um, I lost a lot of the Albany territory, and I lost the hill towns, and then took Bethlehem, which I had not represented. And it was a very different district. And I I was on the Agriculture Committee for 20 years. And uh, the loss of the hill towns was uh, a was difficult uh, city was fine, whatever part you gave me of it. But I thought, you know, it's time. It's a new district. Let's get a new person in there. Let's give them a fresh start. And uh, there was a four or five per- people interested. There was a, a spirited primary. And uh, Patricia Fay. He wound up taking most of my district, uh, plus Bethlehem. And then uh, John McDonald replaced Ron Canistreri, who left at the same time. Mm-hmm. And Canastre's uh, district moved further up the hill in Albany, and so I have, in a sense, two successors. I still talk to Canastre all the time, and Bob Riley, I should mention, who represented uh, uh, Clifton Park and Half Moon and all of Colony. Uh, Riley decided to quit at the same time,
0: mm. so
1: so all three of us uh, uh, left, and it was a uh, it was quite a change, and it was also led to a a lack of seniority in the assembly because we had three freshmen coming in.
0: Jack McEnany is uh, with us, a uh, former assemblyman, historian uh, in uh, Albany. We've been talking about politics. Uh, is, is politics key to Albany's history? It
1: comes from not having a major league sport, I think. <laughs> the, you know, the void gets filled somewhere. But, you know, we are a... Um, we are a state capital. We're the second largest government center, I would think, after uh, Washington, D.C. At least that was always claimed. And it's, it's, uh, it's a real interest. Uh, we have a disproportionate number who, of families who either work for one level of government or another or have, uh, have close friends, neighbors, and relatives. And uh, it's a pretty knowledgeable group. I remember one of the local TV stations hired a consultant once, and the consultant came in to evaluate the news. This was probably 10 or 15 years ago. And right away, the out-of-town consultant said, well, I can tell you right now, you've got too much uh, government and politics here, and you need to build up your uh, sports and weather and human interest. And they did a poll, and the guy came back sheepishly, and he said, they actually like this stuff, don't they? (laughs) Yes, Yes, they do. That's the the nature of Albany. And... uh, I talk to people down in places like uh, Arizona and the Sun Belt, and there just isn't that uh, day-to-day following of all the minutia and the characters that are in
0: in politics. Now, being in government and having an interest in history, you did have the uh, opportunity to do some things.
1: There was was never a time that I didn't consider myself an historian. I, I wrote the book on Albany. I've done a number of documentaries uh, and I do constant public speaking. I've got two speeches next week, and I maybe it's because I'm free, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, but they're on historical topics. And uh, I thought it was very—it was a privilege to have a front row seat on history, to to be a player, to to be in those uh, uh, closed rooms. In the case of of Democratic conferences, for example, in the assembly, and. Uh, you know, it was a, a, just a, a very symbiotic relation to be in both politics and in in, uh, in history.
0: Mm. It says here you led the effort to save Quackenbush House. What is that, and what did you do?
1: Well, the Quackenbush House is now called the Old English Pub, and uh, I was, uh, in fact, I was working for the county. I ran the neighborhood youth corps and had not yet moved to Mayor Corning, and... Uh, I looked at it, and I realized it was on the state demolition list. They were going to tear it down. Now, the state will deny that now, but if you look at their artist conception of the Empire State Plaza, the shot that's from the plaza to show the waterfront, there's nothing at the foot of Clinton Avenue but lawn. Hmm. It's where the Clinton Avenue exit comes onto Broadway. Mm-hmm. And I had known, because of Morris Gerber's books, uh, his old Albany books, mm. that that building was where uh, gentleman, Johnny Burgoyne, stopped and refreshed himself before he went through the stockade through the city gate, which was up by Orange Street. And I knew it went back a long way. I would say, and I think uh, Bob Arnold, who was county historian before me, I was county historian for a while, in addition to being deputy county executive. We both believe it's built in uh, 1683. And uh, it would have been a shame to lose that. Mm -hmm. So I switched jobs at the time, and I went to work for Mayor Corning. And I met with a few friends, and we formed a not-for-profit company, the the Albany Restoration Association, and uh, with the idea of challenging the state to sell it for a dollar just so they couldn't say nobody cared and nobody wanted it. So I switched jobs to work for Mayor Corning, on what was originally going to be a temporary type of thing to get a a grant up and going and what was then called manpower planning. And I thought, gee, I better explain it to him. So I told him, and he said, "Uh, what are you doing Saturday morning? I said, nothing. What would you like? He said, meet me at the Quackenbush house. Hmm. So (laughs) so he came down at 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning, And the place was a wreck. There was no no principal floor on it. So you walked in and there was the cellar filled with with muddy water and a ladder up to the second floor. And Corning comes down. It was the month of May and he was wearing a pearl gray suit. (laughs) And I thought, this is not going to work out well. He's going to be filthy if he's going in that building. We had made arrangements. Somebody opened it up and he went up the ladder and he... Wandered around through the place, and uh, I noticed there was a dead rat nearby, and it was in real rough shape. Uh. And he went down, and he said, well, you got a Dutch house there. Come and see me Monday morning. So I came in on Monday morning, and he said, now, do you want this? I said, no. I said, I, I really don't want it, I, but I don't want the state to tear it down. He says, that's a good thing, because you'd really lose your shirt on it. He said, uh, but you're right, it should be saved. We'll have the city or uh, the state give it to us, and the city will own it, and we'll restore it for some purpose, and that's what saved the Quackenbush House.
0: Really, and and that's what became wasn't it a visitor center, or is it still the visitor? No, center? the
1: visitor center is in the old water department across oh, the street, okay. and uh, Quackenbush Street was renamed Quackenbush Square, mm-hmm. and the Quackenbush Lansing family owned that property and lived in it from uh, uh, 1683 when it was built. But a big addition around 1790 when Colonel Henry Quackenbush became a, a state senator and a presidential elector. And uh, they were there right up until 1865, but the neighborhood had gotten very commercial. And then they sold it, I think, in 68, and, and uh, it was turned into oh, a bakery, a bar, a drugstore, any number of things.
0: But what is it now?
1: Right now it's the Old English Pub. Oh, you said that. All right, and, uh, so it's a restaurant. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's very interesting, and and uh, the upstairs, you know, back room is uh, is particularly nice. But that's the the modern seventeen ninety edition.
0: We're talking with uh, Jack Mackinney from uh, Albany. Uh, I don't want to get you in trouble again with the people in your own party, but um, I mentioned to you before we did the program uh, that. Uh, John Warren of a New York History blog wanted yes. to say hello, because we post, um, uh, we advise that when the, these programs are able to be heard on my uh, website, com, and... Reading the history blog, I don't get involved in this much, man. I write about local stories, the Mohawk Valley, that's really my interest. But I gather there's a lot of politics going on in history right now, and Governor, and some of the historians seem to, uh, if, if trying to summarize it, uh, accuse Governor Andrew Cuomo of just, you know, paying lip service to uh, history, even though he's talked about paths through history and things, uh, things like that. Do you, do you think New York's doing enough? Well- so there's a couple of things going on. The first is I'm still on the uh, Capitol
1: Commission. What the governor has done with the Capitol has been fabulous. Uh, but for budget reasons, it's not open on Saturday and Sunday. But if you haven't been to the state Capitol and you do have doubts as to the governor's interest in history, you'll be blown away because he's really uh, he's opened up. A lot of the barriers are, are gone, and the the uh, Hall of Governors is uh, wide open. You can just wander through. You don't need a guide and mm-hmm. and appreciate the art or the personalities. And he's put in a Hall of New York with uh, uh, borrowed paintings from some of our best museums. He's really done a wonderful job with the state capitol and, and speeded up the completion of it. I was always afraid because of the budget it would come to a grinding halt. Cause Governor Patterson was all set to take down the... Uh, scaffolding, or, you know, the big cranes, Mm -hmm. and it would be a fortune to put them up again. But he he did a good job. What he's embarked on is a program which is called Path Through History. And Path Through History, at this stage, is a lot of signage, and you've seen them, Bob. I go out through the Mohawk Valley all the time. In fact, I belong to the Fort Johnson Group, you know, Montgomery County Historical. And you'll see them, and they get you off the... the, uh, highways onto the byways and tell you different things. But uh, also, he's got a program with apps. You know, it's a new generation. And so if you see something you're interested in, you go onto your cell phone and it tells you what's there, what the hours are, and so on. I think what people are concerned about is they haven't seen a cash flow uh, down to uh, not-for-profits. You know, years ago, we used to have member items, which, by the way, I loved. And I'm sorry they got maligned because somebody screwed it up in the Bronx or Brooklyn, but upstate member items just did some extraordinary work for historic sites, among many other not-for-profits. I think there's another stage that hasn't happened yet, but a lot of the groundwork for Path Through History, the symbol of the capital, and going into the apps, I think you'll see that blend with, I love New York and get it down to a grassroots level. People are waiting for that, and it hasn't really happened yet, but a lot of foundation had to be built, uh, put in before you built the full structure.
0: Mm -hmm. And before we go, we're just about out of time. Uh, The McEnany uh, political tradition continues with your. Daughter Rachel right I mean she's w- works with the senator Gillibrand or am I out of date on that
1: Well you're you're out of date with that they're they're good friends and they still socialize and all but she worked about 5 years in uh, first for congressman and then later senator Gillibrand where she was a senior advisor but you know the action down there is in New York City or Washington half the time and uh, since she lives four blocks away from me uh, she switched. She's now in state service and uh, has had a number of positions. She's now working up in
0: Schenectady at the uh, workers' comp board. Very good. Well, Jack McEnany, uh, pleasure talking with you. And, again, the uh, book that is best known is Albany, Capital City on the Hudson. And, and it's out of print. So. <laughs> it's out of print. that's too bad. So we can't get Well, maybe you we should do another one.
1: Well, that, that's what they say.
0: Yep. Yeah. I know that History Press has done a lot of uh, books for a number of the historians I talk with. I'm sure they'd be happy to talk to you, Jack. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jack. Uh, It's good to do
1: it. It's good to be here. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Jack McEnany, former member of the New York State Assembly and historian as well, (laughs) author of an out-of-print book on uh, Albany history, but he knows a great deal about it.